We were at Turning Point Prom, the SAS Leadership Ball, and I had just been outside smoking weed with some of my friends, you know, because I was a libertarian, right? It's what we do. We smoke weed. Uh, it's really stoned. Like, you ever been, like, uncomfortably stoned, you know? <laughs> Who comes up to us but Charlie Kirk himself? Comes up to us, and he, he looks at all of us, and he says, hey, guys, what's that song with all the instructions, and then you like get down on the floor. And we're all looking at him like, Charlie, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Instructions and the floor? I don't know any- Cha-cha slide? Yes, it's exactly what he was talking about. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking with just a little flight information. We're flying at an altitude of 37,000 feet and our airspeed is 400 miles an hour. A couple little facts here, I'm packing a Colt King Cobra, that's a 357 caliber firearm with a black rubber grip and a 6 inch barrel, capable of piercing body armor at a distance of up to 27 feet. And I can put a hole in human bone and flesh the size of the Grand Canyon, which, by the way, is coming up on the left-hand side of the plane. So just sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of the flight. No, not you. Not you. Your organization's terrible. Should I tell you? Should I tell you? Oh, you Boy Scout, but you know life. You know life. You know I'm totally off script right now. Hey, News Dive listeners, it's Sam Carliner. I'm joined by... Shane Sarosi. And producing for us is... Sophia Janoskoli. And we're News Dive, and this is going to... We've had a lot of episodes lately where we make fun of the libs. And we will have a lot more because we're about to have a lib president. But this episode, uh, we are going to be dunking on the right. It's a very good week for that. Uh, You may have heard, you know, of a few conservatives pulling some shit uh, recently. May or may not have heard about that. So, yeah, um, before we get into... Well, we we have an exclusive expose on a former employee of Turning Point USA who is going to be joining us with with all the all the tea all the all of the that uh, in a little bit. I also recorded a segment with original co-host of the show Joe Imditas, and we talk about some of the dumber reactions to the riots in DC, things that should have been covered but weren't, and things that shouldn't have been covered but were. Uh, before we get into that, we have bonus content to plug. Uh, Shane, <laughs> what is our medium? Uh, it's a medium.com forward slash news dive. All right. That's, so that's our medium, and we have two articles up pertaining to the riots. One is an article by Shane. Shane, what's your article? I debunk uh, the right-wing talking point that Antifa was behind the riot. Yes, it's very good quality, and you guys should check it out. You can also check out a piece by a journalist I met recently, David Kane. He writes about how what we saw is very similar to a lot of the ways that the U.S. pushes regime change abroad. If you know this show, you know we like the internationalist angle, so check those out on 
our Medium page, and then you can also check out a bonus episode uh, that I recorded, an interview with Kevin Gastola, leading Assange trial journalist. You can find that in all of our episodes on anchor.fm forward slash news dive or you can follow all of our shit on social media at Newsdive radio on twitter instagram and facebook please please follow us we like getting followers uh yeah so that's all the plugs i think he, he should be here like any minute he said he was getting some water well, while, while we're waiting, Shane, how did you meet this person whose name we will figure out how to pronounce once he joins us? Well, I mean, I just kind of came across him on Twitter. That's how we, were, we Yeah, we, we, were, we were dunking on the same conservative. Who was the conservative? I forget, but... Yeah, no, they blend together. Well, he's here. Sophie, you want to let him in? Hey. Hey, hello. Uh, hi. How do I? How do we pronounce your name? We were just talking about that. It's seven, just like the number. Well, the last name. Oh, Surak. S. Yeah, Surak. All right, seven Surak. You know, I don't have to pronounce it because you already said it. Thank you for joining us. I'm of course Sam. Shane, who you've talked to more is here. Do What's you? Up? Shane. Shane doesn't remember. Do you remember what conservative you guys were dunking on when you met? Um. I feel like it was probably Charlie Kirk, but I'm not really sure. That's kind of my stick, you know, because being an ex-Turning Point USA employee and all, um, I feel like it was Charlie Kirk, but I don't really remember. Yeah. Um, well, uh, for any of our listeners who have been fortunate enough to not know anything about who Charlie Kirk is and what Turning Point USA is, uh, do you want to give an intro to... This, this organization who I'm sorry to any listeners who are about to learn about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the basics, I mean, it's, a, it's like one of those 501c3 political organizations, uh, which means that legally speaking, it's a, uh, a tax-exempt educational charity. Their, their purported thing is that they go around spreading uh, the ideals of you know, free markets and limited government and uh, personal responsibility, all the you know typical conservative taglines. Um, they they open chapters on college campuses across the country. Uh, they bring you know loathsome right wing speakers to campus, which again, sorry to say, I was you know involved in a couple of those of bringing some of those speakers to campus. Um, do you remember, guys? If anyone who's listening, um, you just look up TPUSA diaper protest get a pretty good idea of, of the sort of activism that they, they bring to the table. If you haven't heard of that, look it up. I'm telling you, it's it's uh, it's worth your time. Um, but so in practice, what Turning Point USA is, it's uh, a group funded by, you know, dark money billionaires, basically people like uh, the now late Sheldon Adelson, people like Foster Freeze. Uh, I forget his name, but the, uh, the CEO of Home Depot is one of their big donors, Mike Lindell, people like that. Um, and they basically go around spreading Republican ideals, but they do it under the guise of a nonpartisan sort of like charity, you know, we're just there to educate people. Um, but really they're trying to be the youth arm of the Republican party in a lot of ways. So, I, you know, I guess for starters, 
what drew you to that? Like, like, have you always been conservative? Was it like, what's what was your background prior to the other background that we're gonna get more into? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, around I would say 2014 is when I really got involved in in sort of politics. That's that's when I went into uh, college. Um, I started out as like your basic libertarian. Um, you know, I got involved with Young Americans for Liberty on my campus. I was like the chapter president. Uh, I did a lot of what you would call tabling, you know, handing out literature. Uh, we set up a couple of debates, you know, about like marijuana legalization and about um, campus carry. That was another one. Um, so as far as ideologically, I mean, I was always interested in politics. You know, I would look around at the world and at current events and, and like the way society was structured. And I was like, this could definitely change for the better. It was my like general thinking. At the time, that is, I, I thought that libertarian sort of right-wing ideals were the way to improve the world, improve society for you know the people around me. I know that sounds laughable, but there, I think there are a lot of sort of like good-natured, good-faith people out there that that sort of believe that, right? They're like, well, if we just instituted these right-wing ideals, the world really would be a better place. Um, you know, I was big about like government tyranny, obviously, you know, that was like a big concern in my life. Um, so I did that through college. Uh, after college, I um, worked for what's called the Leadership Institute. They are a very similar group to Turning Point USA, although they're, they're much more in the shadows. They don't have their own chapters. They're not, uh, they don't advertise themselves as much. They don't really sell merchandise, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I worked for them for a term of like, three months or whatever, because it was an independent contracting thing. Really sucked. I had to pay all my taxes at the end of uh, you know, the, the tax season, which really broke my bank. Um, and then about halfway through that, I met uh, my, my ex-boss, uh, who offered me a job with Turning Point. And I, I had sort of my reservations about it. I knew that it had sort of a bad reputation in the conservative sort of like, you know, thought space or the conservative world. But um, I just wanted a stable job. I mean, at the time, like, I was like, yeah, they're conservative, I'm conservative, they can't be that bad, you know, it's probably all rumors. And then also, uh, you know, it's like, well, I just, I want to work for someone, I want to have a living wage, right? I want to have, like, health insurance and stuff like that. And so that seemed like a pretty decent option to me at the time. Yeah, I mean, one thing I think of, I'm, I'm honestly not as familiar as I, as a podcaster, probably, political podcaster probably should be with Turning Point USA, but one thing that I that I do think has been an interesting thing I've noticed is that there are, I think, like genuinely well-meaning libertarian right people, but there's there doesn't seem to be any seriously libertarian right orgs. Like they're all authoritarian, like uh, yeah. that I can think of. Um, I mean, was that at all any point? I, I assume that Turning Point USA has authoritarian views. Was was that a thing that? ever ruffled you even while you were still on the right absolutely absolutely i was always very like specifically socially liberal i mean like why would i care about things like you know same-sex marriage and, and like the transgender like why would i care about any of that i always wanted drugs to be legal that was a big sticking point for me even criminal justice reform was always like a top item on my list of things of like this is how we can make the world a better place and that's actually, I think that's a good segue into, I mean, if we, if you want to ask me a couple more questions, that's fine, but oh, go ahead. <laughs> I start talking about how I sort of began to transition away from it is what it started with was friction about those things about being anti-war, for example, I remember oh, this one anti-war on this show. So I appreciate that. 
Right, and even when I was on the right, I was very anti-war, anti-interventionist, as most libertarians are. Um, I remember one incident in particular where like, I was arguing with one of my coworkers at a conference, and she said something along the lines of like, being anti-war is anti-Second Amendment. Just take a minute, think about that as much as you need to. I was certainly puzzled by that. I didn't understand what she meant. But I just want to give you an idea of the sort of like ideological clashes that started to happen even while I was still sort of like on board with Turning Point. Um, and then the real like break came in, I would say, late 2019, early 2020, because when the pandemic hit, all right, I, this is sort of a wider ideological point. And I've said this on other things, like on the majority report or whatever, but I watched a little bit of that clip, by the way. But yeah, okay, just cool. copy it word for word or, or, or whatever. Well, I was going to say, I think this concept of reasonable doubt, like reasonable ideological doubt is really important in the right, like to try to understand right wing thought. Um, they live in this world where this, this ideological, like reasonable doubt area that they live in, and I lived in at the time as well, is like, for example, they'll say, I'll just use a different example. They'll say like, um, you know, cutting taxes is good for the economy, right? We cut taxes on the rich, it's good for the economy. And there's a lot of scholarship that says that that's not the case, right? There's a lot of data that says that's not the case. But there's also enough data from people like uh, FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, and these other sort of like uh, Koch brother funded, you know, groups that put out data that says that it does, right? It says that cutting taxes does improve the economy. And so what you do is you live in this space of like, I'm gonna believe this data because it fits my worldview. I'm gonna believe this person versus this other person. And it's like, you know, you're just in the space of reasonable doubt of like, hey, I could be wrong about everything, but I don't think that I am. So when 2020 hit, when the pandemic hit and Trump's response to it was to deny it, it, right like it doesn't exist it's gonna go away we don't have to do anything about it that was like a real eye-opener for me as far as like wait a minute are these guys just straight up denying reality is, is that really what's going on here like they're just denying the reality of what's going on in the world or in the, in the country and it made me question all of the other beliefs essentially it made me think like wait, wait I need to go back I need to like do some more research on this stuff I need to like learn if any of this right-wing stuff is true. And um, also like I became much more involved like and, and more in favor of the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, I mean, it got to the point where the head of the field program, the, like the very tippy top of, of like the program I worked in called me and said, you have to stop posting about Black Lives Matter. You have to stop being supportive of them. It looks bad for the company, it look, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, it was just sort of a slow, like, sea change of one by one realizing that just none of this stuff really makes sense. I mean, specifically, like, policy-wise, the giveaway to the stock market, you know, the giveaway to, uh, you know, basically billionaires that, that was a part of the very first stimulus package, that was sort of almost like, like, getting hit with a brick where I'm like, okay, these people are exactly what everyone has always said that they were. They really only do care about the rich. They really do only care about their donor class. And 
basically everybody else can am i allowed to curse right oh yeah go ahead everyone else can get fucked basically is is like the right-wing worldview like well i'm doing okay everyone else can get fucked and you know as someone who in the beginning of my political journey genuinely wanted to make the world a better place i want to be like clear about that i i worked 18 hour days for this organization because at the time i did believe in it i did believe i was helping make the world a better place i realized i was i'd been wrong about everything and really what i was doing was not only advocating against my own interests like you know economically and, and all that kind of stuff i was convincing other people to like advocate against their own interests and um i just I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, this is, this is like, I, I become a shitty person in the pursuit of what I thought was a noble goal. Um, and so eventually like I, I kept sliding sort of more to the left. And then in November, uh, well, no, it was like late October, early November. It was about like five days, maybe before the election, something like that. Um, I had found a new job. Like I sell software now, you know, I just, I sell, you know, computer stuff. Um, and I basically just stopped responding to their calls. They would call me and be like, are you working today? And I'd be like, I just wouldn't answer it. So then they terminated me for job abandonment, which is just basically, I just didn't quit in a formal manner. I quit, but I didn't quit like where I said, hey, this is my two week notice, I'm quitting, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and then that's sort of where I am now of like, um, you know, I, I really liked Bernie Sanders. Like guys, as I was sliding, right? I was like, oh, I prefer Bernie Sanders to Joe Biden. Um, I'm very I much now. Oh, everyone okay. in their right mind, regardless of politics, preferred Bernie Sanders to Joe Biden. <laughs> right. Um, and so now, like, I still have a lot to learn. Obviously, I do understand that. And I'm sure that um, my ideological journey is not fully complete. But the way it stands now, I think, for example, if it's required to be alive, probably shouldn't be commoditized, for example. You know, that's sort of like where I've ended up landing as far as my views now go. And what I'm doing and trying to do by speaking out against Turning Point USA is to stop other well-meaning people like myself from getting wrapped up in this, like they invent a complete rhetorical fantasy world that people live in and that I lived in for a long time. And it's hard to like get people to see the light. So hopefully by talking, Talking about my experiences, talking about how I made the changes, I can stop other people in their journey and be like, you realize you're not actually making the world a better place, you're actually making it a worse place, and here's why. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's that's important. One, just because it's important, but also just because I think, like, like I think we, we don't have, like, all leftist audience on the show. We try to be an intro to anyone's politics, but... Shane and I are both significantly left. So uh, uh, I think another reason why I'm glad to have you on is because, you know, I have met uh, mainly from the libertarian right uh, people who I, th I think they're wrong. I think they don't really make good arguments, but it's clear that they genuinely are trying to improve society. So I also think that it's important for uh, if the left is going to try to advance what it's trying to do and its way of trying to help people, there needs to be a, a genuine understanding that, like, okay, we need to actually figure out how to talk to people who have experience on the right. Um, and one one question I actually am interested in, before we get more into the details of, like, what, what you did do and how the organization functions, sure. is there, do you know if there's, like, a reason that when you started having problems with Turning Point USA, you moved less uh not less you moved left 
rather than just sort of reverting to like just working trying to find more libertarian orgs like why why is it not because i feel like other people in your situation might have blamed charlie kirk and might have blamed the people running the organization rather than the ideology is there a reason that you tended to actually shift left uh, ideologically yeah and i was trying to be succinct so and it was kind of like i talked for a while so i started as a libertarian and then at a certain point, I was in college, so I was still learning stuff, obviously. Even now, I'm 25 years old, so you know, I'm still learning. I'm figuring out my place in the world. The point is, at a certain point in my journey, I was like, wait, totally unregulated capitalism is probably not the best thing. And even from, that was still when I was on the right. So just to be like intellectually consistent, I went from like libertarian to just sort of like basic conservative of like, ah, the free market's better, but you know, it has to be regulated a little bit. Um, and so when I got to turning point and started to have these misgivings, I guess I feel like I had already made the, the sort of complete like spectrum journey sort of from libertarian unfettered capitalism to realizing it needs some regulation uh, I guess I just skipped the centrist phase. I guess that's what it is, right? I just kind of skipped over the centrist phase and just moved, you know, I would call myself center left. I'm not sure. Again, maybe that puts me in the socialist camp to say that um, the, the needs of life should not be commoditized. But the main reason that I slid left is because I realized that the ideas were bad, right? It wasn't the, I mean, obviously, yeah, Charlie Kirk and, and what he does and what the organization does are even negative from a right-wing perspective, but it was the ideology itself that I was having misgivings about, not just the organization. Yeah, I mean, I I think I've always been mostly left. Uh, I mean, let me think. I, I'm not gonna go tr- backtrack all my thing. I've probably done it on the show before, but like, I've definitely never been like on the right. Um, but you know, one and I've had arguments with friends who are, are libertarian who who still believe it. And one thing that I've never been able, where I've never been sold on it, is just that there seems to be no answer for finite resources. Like the like the free market ideology only functions in a world with infinite resources. Um, and I mean, and I, infinite places to grow. Huh? Yeah. Well, well, it's, yeah, no, it's like if you don't have an endless flow, then once you buy one thing, everything else in that category yeah, I... shifts in value. And there's no way to do, to make sure that everyone is able to freely compete if the person who already bought the things uh, is then able to exploit the fact that the other things have value. I don't know if I'm explaining it in a way that makes sense, but uh, yeah, it, it, and that's a question that I feel like has never been answered uh, by even the smartest people on the right who I've met. I, and so, I mean, it, while I think that they're right to have, like, good social values of, like, we should not restrict people's rights too much, economically, it, it just it doesn't apply. Like, it, it can't apply. I, I just find, uh, like, for you need, like, three things to maintain, like, a free market system. Like, you need unlimited resources. You need unlimited room for growth. And you need uh, a labor force to uh, abuse. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. I mean, one of the ways that I've described libertarianism in the past, even when I was sort of on the right, was that it's like imagine if Republicans conceded on all the social issues. So you're like, okay, that's a win. But then in response to that, they went as far to the right on economic issues as they possibly could. I mean, 
the basic libertarian believes that labor regulations period are like immoral right that like if you say that children can't work in coal mines you are somehow a, a tyrant um as far as like the basic question of the unlimited growth thing a lot of them would tell you if you pose that question directly to them they'd probably tell you that that's a it's like a myth that companies want to grow unlimitedly that's what they would say they, that's like their response to a lot of stuff my my response would just be what company doesn't continue to grow well i would just say prove it <laughs> yeah like yeah. I, I need to see it i would want like citations on that because that because if you as a company if you don't grow you get overtaken by the competition and then you go bankrupt <laughs> right right and then like Beyond that, just the insistence that somehow people who only care about profit are going to restrain themselves in such a way as, as to like make sure their negative externalities aren't forced on other people is just laughable in a lot of ways, right? Especially when you consider that, again, we're talking about libertarians, at least Republicans sort of get it that like you got to have something. You got to have some basic like rules of the playing field. But libertarians like really don't. This is like there should be no rules and everyone will just be good. And I don't know. Even at the time, there was a lot of like scholarly. This is what you know. There's a lot of libertarian intellectuals out there. Like um, I can't think like uh, what's his name, Lawrence Reed. He's like the guy who runs the uh, Foundation for Economic Education and uh, just other like Harry Hazlitt. I think is his name. He wrote Economics in One Lesson. There's a lot then, of. Yeah. And then these people are all like coke people, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, but again, like the point is, they'll write these whole really thick books on why you know what you're saying is like a myth or not true, or sometimes they'll like kind of get right to the point and just be like, "Well, Marx said that, so it's bad." <laughs> and, <laughs> Marx and, said and, the and same thing. It's terrible. He said and it with math. <laughs> That's honestly, that's, that's, I mean, I, I'm just, at this point, I'm just saying lines that, like, everyone, I think, already knows, but it's like, he, he had the math, like, he did, it's not like he just said it, he did the math of it, but. Yeah. Like, the, the, the libertarian uh, econo economist that, like, I know most about, he's probably uh, Milton Friedman. Yeah. And, and it's just, I, from just what I've learned about it, a lot of what these uh, libertarian economists, preach are based on assumptions that many have been proven wrong like Milton Friedman uh, used an assumption that there's a certain level of unemployment that you need to have in the economy or you experience like hyperinflation or something well it turns out that you don't need to have a certain amount of unemployed people oh, and that was just, just a myth so that's just from I, I, just that, that's just from what I've learned about right wing economics is that they're they're based on a lot of assumptions that are just wrong. Um. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, as I was like, because again, as, as someone, I, I try to be intellectually consistent. I always did, even back then. And so you know, you have to question your own beliefs. You have to wonder, like, is this uh, true? You know, is any of this right? Sometimes, even when I was sort of right wing, but you know, questioning. Um, I was left curious, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, the, the, I kind of got this sense of like, what if it was this, this is all just a post hoc justification of who has power, 
right? Like the people in power give lots of money to other people, sort of charismatic people, to give these really like intellectual and wordy and nice sounding justifications for why that guy has all the money and you're not allowed to have any of it. There were times mm -hmm. when I would get that sense, but you know, it, it's hard when you're in that world. So I, it, usually I would end up dismissing it and just kind of going on about my day. But I mean, I had read Marx in college. I, I didn't like agree with it, but I still read it. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways there were seeds planted sort of in my like intellectual consciousness uh, that over time, you know, given the right soil and sunlight combination eventually, you know, bore fruit as I guess we're seeing now. So, so you were always like open to the idea of left ideas, not, not, you weren't like a lot of conservatives who are just completely terrified by the idea of, of left wing ideas. So, you, so you're yeah. saying that you, yeah. Well, and not only that, but I, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for anybody else. Um, but personally, I think that religion does play like a big role in the right wing mindset in the sense that. Like, I didn't believe any of the right-wing stuff because I thought that, like, those ideas were handed down by God or, or like, somehow universal or, like, transcendental. I believed them because I thought that they were true, right, and that they were they were accurate and that they, they led to good outcomes and th all that sort of stuff. Um, and so at a point where the data kind of told me that it wasn't or information kind of told me that it wasn't, I was like, okay, well, there's no reason to believe that stuff anymore. That's why, like I said, sort of one by one, my right-wing beliefs kind of like fell like dominoes because, you know, if it's not true, why would I believe it? Yeah. Uh, well, enough about you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what about what about the org itself? I mean, I mean, not even about the org itself. Like about what did you, what did you do with them? Like like because I, I mean, I, I saw your Twitter a bit. You you do seem to suggest that you were like an awful person not awful but that you caused harm um like is that true like like because i i mean i feel like even if you're spreading propaganda it's debatable if, if if that's harm but that that's maybe as a as a journalist i shouldn't be saying that propaganda is only debatably harm but <laughs> um yeah so i was a field representative so um what i did was basically travel around in a predetermined territory uh so for me it was the western half of Pennsylvania and the western half of New York, like Buffalo and Rochester and like those places. Uh, I would travel around and I would like, yeah, as you said, spread propaganda, but not just that, I would find conservatives. Um, I mean, like they might, they like to tell you that maybe I was like out there converting people, like that's kind of the impression they like to give that maybe you converted a leftist student, that never happened. It was always just finding the conservatives and then organizing them into uh, a force on campus. Um, part of it was too, like, you know, I worked for the Leadership Institute who, you know, for all their faults, being a right-wing organization has great trainings about what you would call political technology, just sort of the nuts and bolts of doing politics. They have great training about that stuff and they're the ones who trained me. So I knew all these sort of tricks. I wouldn't call them dirty tricks because it wasn't really like unethical, but they were these tricks to make a group have an outsized influence on campus. Um, I know at one school, we brought Nigel Farage and spoke to an audience of 300 or you know, 350, 400 uh, students and adults from the community. And we accomplished that with a group of you know three or four people. So that was part of it was making the right 
out to be much stronger on campus than it really is. Much more organized, much more uh, just able to get things done. When a lot of times it would just be me doing like all the stuff and then I would just say, oh, look, the students did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then beyond that, as far as like the causing harm thing goes, I think that a lot of what these people do, like specifically Charlie Kirk or Turning Point USA, or even some other, like Glenn Beck, Sebastian, just all these people, they create an ideological landscape or like thought space or I'm sorry, a rhetorical like thought space landscape and they bring people into a false reality I, that's i think like 90 percent of what their role is besides laundering money from not laundering like it's illegal but obfuscating the source and, and divvying it out to certain people laundering the money of right-wing billionaires and so when I say I caused harm, what I mean is that I found people who, absent my intervention, may have like kept learning and may have kept uh, figuring themselves out and come to a different conclusion, matured a little bit ideologically. But instead what I did is I came in and I plucked them and I would take them to the Student Action Summit where they're there with 3,000 other screaming conservatives uh, with Dan Crenshaw and with Ben Shapiro with all the big names and now it wasn't just um, it wasn't just an ideological thing. It became like a lifestyle, mm-hmm. turning their their rhetorical false reality into a, a lifestyle of like you know they, we would stay in nice hotels and eat good food and you know it's it's you know nice if you don't mind the fact that you're doing harm. So when I say I did harm, I think that's what I meant is that I I almost stunted people's intellectual development in some ways. Mm. I mean. I have to ask, I, I don't want to go into the riots that we just saw too much because every, everyone's sharing their takes on that. But I, I mean, I guess, I guess, would you say Turning Point USA is sort of a, if not directly influential, like QAnon and like the type of stuff we're seeing now? I mean, I imagine there's, I, I think there's some connection. Would you say there also is just this, how they influence the right? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're one of the, um, you know, if this false reality is like a a house or something, they're one of the builders. They're one of the architects, Um, specifically in regards to the election fraud thing. And I mean, even before that, the pandemic being fake, they were big purveyors of that. One example, um, you know, they're big on memes, which the memes are really bad. They're like these boomer memes. But oh, terrible. I can't meme, but I've never seen a, a right-wing meme that isn't dog shit. Turning well, points, the memes are terrible. Yeah, yeah, and some other people like, uh, you know, Sam Cedar, they did like a dive into the demographics of who engages with those. It's always like, you know, Boomers. white, well, yeah, white men over 40 or whatever. Um, the worst part is that they have a reputation around the right wing for having the best memes. No, they, they literally do. I'm not. I'm not making that up. <laughs> um, but what was I, I can oh. understand the flawed ideologies of the right, but I cannot understand their just lack of taste when it comes to memes. Yeah, it, there's there's an interesting. I wouldn't say a connection. There's an interesting lack of connection between the right wing and almost any artistic form. It's really interesting to me. Uh, but anyway, we're not going to get into that. What I was saying is that um, uh, the, the pandemic being fake. So like one example, they would share these anti-mask memes, right? Well, their co-founder, Bill Montgomery, 
passed away from COVID-19 complications. So after that happened, they got rid of all of those, those anti-mask memes and sort of toned it down a little bit on the, um, on the, the pandemic is fake thing. I can also tell you, I mean, a real world example. So I said this a little bit on the majority report, but they furloughed us over the summer, right? A lot of people, but they brought us back in August. Part of being brought back was that we went to their um, headquarters in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. Now, if you think back to August and where we were with the pandemic, where we were with cases, with deaths, with hospitalizations, all that stuff, we were in a really bad place, specifically Arizona. Arizona was one of the main hotspots for this. So what do they do? They fly us out to Arizona, pack us into a room. Oh, we were staying two to a hotel room, by the way, two to a hotel room. Um, they had mandatory social events. They bought out bars. There were like 100, 200, 300 people crammed into a bar, and we had to be there. It was oh. a required part of our like job, okay? No mask requirements. They would have like three masks available for you know 100 people, but no one ever said that you had to wear one. Um, I remember sitting in the room and hearing people cough and being like, I'm going to catch COVID. I'm going to catch COVID. I might have, you know, it was like a real scary time for me, but I had to do it because it's like my family's not wealthy. You know, I'm, I'm out on my own now as an adult, you know, post-college. I had bills to pay. I didn't have any other leads coming as far as jobs go. I had to do it. So, I mean, just to get back to the wider point about a false reality, they have been huge, huge in creating this, rhetorical fantasy world that a lot of the right wing lives in. And with Turning Point specifically, and with these riots, we've gotten now to the point where it's not just rhetorical, it's not just ideological. There's real world action taking place as a result of these false realities. Yeah, and, and I would, and, I, and uh, I think Charlie himself said he sent 80 buses full of patriots to the Capitol. Yes. Yep. And he's trying to deny it now. He's he deleted yeah, the I, stuff. He, he won't, deleted the tweet. Yeah, yeah. The, a narrative has started to coalesce where he's saying that they only went to the speech and then they put all the kids on the buses and took them home. But I found um, a picture from a guy named Ryan Fournier who works at Turning Point Action. I've met him a few times. He's like, I know who he is. Okay. Uh, he had a, a thing showing sort of like their itinerary of like, here's where we're going to be at the, of the, the ellipse. Here's where we're gonna be at 11. And at 1 p.m., they were supposed to go to the Capitol. So between you and me, I think he's just lying to try to cover his ass. Yeah, I mean, he's the type of person who would lie to cover his ass. Absolutely. Um, he's the same dude who said that um, he didn't get into West Point because of affirmative action. And now if you ask him that, he'll deny it, even though it's literally on video. You can Google it and watch him it's say It's one of that. the first things you see when you go to his Wikipedia page. Like, yeah. oh, man. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised with, like, that he isn't able to – well, I guess – I don't know. I feel – part of me is, like, yeah, technically if you're – like established enough and you have enough connections you can scrub anything about yourself or you can just like lie enough till people believe it right. uh but it is amazing how he's he's i mean i guess to, to people who follow him he's not a clown but i feel like he 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 hasn't scrubbed anything it's all very easy to find yeah yeah and i don't know if that's just a result because turning points only been around since 2012 so it was about nine years. He's fairly new to this whole like political PR kind of game that he does. 
So I don't know if that's a function of it or if, I mean, again, like talking about Turning Point specifically, it never had good leadership, right? The, the decisions they made just from a business standpoint never really made a lot of sense. So maybe he just doesn't know what he's doing and he's never going to. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, to go back to uh, what you said about uh, them creating their own reality, I I see it, I see it more as like a there's like a pipeline where where you where you begin at somewhere like a turning point where they where they go to your college you go and see like Ben Shapiro talk or something and and that that's that's you getting you're getting your foot in the door in the right wing political space and I think that opens up people to go further right because that's when that's when you start questioning the media you know the, the fake news media you don't you don't trust anything you read so the, the and then the only place you feel like you can get the truth from is from right wing news radio and right interrupt that's <laughs> true so so you just keep you just keep moving further and further right to now there's people who are like like fox news is too liberal now oh, and that all these people are now following like QAnon and all these these right-wing conspiracies it it all it all i think it starts with organizations like turning point right where they where they go to like colleges and just take like normal students and expose them to these right-wing ideas and they're just and the and then there there's definitely a religious aspect to there to it too because i think if you're more into religion you're more open to uh Think, uh, the believing things that might not quite make sense. So they really play, uh, so they play up the religion aspect for that reason, I believe. Well, I also feel like it, it's an easier way to get you to feel persecuted. Like, like you can easily play into the culture warp. It's like, everyone's cool with gay people now, which makes you a minority, which is such a bullshit thing, but like, right. yeah, the, 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 uh, to believe that, then yeah, harping on that probably gets it to stick with them more. Yeah, fear, fear and anger. They, they, that's what the right use it. They, fear and anger. They, they make their audience angry and they make them fear their the their political opponents. And that's that's why that's why a lot of conservatives are terrified of left wing ideas because they've been so propagandized against these ideas. I mean, I would say that liberals do that too, but conservatives are just way better at it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, as far as the like the religion aspect goes and how it fits into sort of the wider ideological like landscape that they've created. One of the things that I became very aware of was this sort of idea, maybe this isn't the right term for it, but like almost like prosperity gospel stuff of of like, so uh, if so-and-so is rich, then clearly God wanted him to be rich, yeah, right? Yeah, right? I, that's, that's exactly, uh, that's why uh, you see these uh, these rich televangelists, uh, Kenneth, like Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland, yes, who, he's one of the who, worst. Who who says he needs to have a private jet because he can't he can't ride a plane with demons? People coming up to him, he right. had become famous, and they wanting him to pray for him and right. all that. You you can't you you can't manage that today. Right. The, this dope filled world. Right. And get in an air get in a long tube with a bunch of demons. Right. That's exactly the. And it's it's deadly. And and it works on you hard. It really does.
So I, anyway, I, I wanted to make that clear so the devil can't lie to you and say, see there, them preachers spending yeah. all that money just, just fat cats riding around. That motherfucker. I, I didn't know him by the name, but I remember that shit. You know him by his <laughs> eyes. He's got the crazy eyes. Oh. Dude, you remember, uh, did, you see, did you guys see the video of him laughing after Joe Biden won? That, Is that, that the ha, 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 Yeah. Him. Him. The media said Joe Biden's president. Ha, 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 Yeah, that's, that's the, the thing. One. He's one of those people where I don't technically know him, but I know I, I know his hits. I know his greatest hits. And the COVID-19 thing where you like wanted the wind of God to blow it away. Just... Oh, yes. It's too good. And that's one of the things that maybe I think we're seeing now is that like as you build up a false reality and like as the artifice gets taller and taller, it also becomes more like, uh, I don't know, like almost more vulnerable. And in a way, you have to sort of like, if one of the towers falls, you have to sort of like quickly build up a new one so hopefully nobody notices. Um, you know, and that's why you see a constant shifting of the goalposts with right-wingers, a constant like, well, the pandemic is gonna go away after Joe Biden becomes president. And then, then they're back to the fact that it never existed in the first you're, place. And you're seeing it right now with exactly. with the, with the with, uh, with after the Capitol riot. But before it's like, like you got to stop the steal, the the election stolen. But now that after that riot happened, all the conservatives are like, we we need to come together and unify as a country. Like impeachment would be too divisive. Yeah, actually. Oh, sorry. Keep talking. That's all. That's all I really had to say. But that, just that shift of the goalpost, where like like they clearly did something wrong. Um, and now they're trying to cover themselves by claiming that they want unity and now are going after Joe Biden for being divisive when he ran on unity, which I think is ridiculous because they 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 attacked our they attacked our Capitol building. Well, I'm yeah. not even pissed about the Capitol. I'm pissed about the manatee. I don't know if you guys saw someone etched I did see that. into a manatee. Like, I, I will say, I don't know uh, how our listeners or, or, or Seven, how you'll feel, or Shane, I don't know who, but I stand by what I said during the Black Lives Matter protests, which is, you know, I personally think there's better ways. Like, like I think that like breaking stuff isn't necessary, but like I don't mind breaking stuff. Like, like especially when it's coming out of natural anger. Like, that's valid. Like, I, I think there's just a giant difference between that and like actually harming people. And I, as much as I think the property damage that came from the Black Lives Matter protest was more understandable since they were getting murdered, uh, I, I stand by my take that even though I disagree with the Trump people, like. I'm honestly not that shocked by them breaking things. I mean, even if no, it's I'm not people, shocked either. I don't mind that. I'm consistent on that. You, I think the fact that people died is a lot more scary. I don't want to see more of that. And I think the zip tie guy was like terrifying, but it's the manatees where that really is like if if the I don't want the FBI to hunt and down hunt down people and arrest them because I don't support. Um, the state hunting down people and mass arresting them but if the fbi hunts 
down anyone and arrest them. It should be the people who go after the manatees. It's just such a good, that the manatees thing, it's just such a clear example of, like, you pick almost one of the most kind, like, sort of kind-hearted, like, helpless creatures that maybe exist in this continent, potentially, and you carve the word Trump into it. I mean, it's just, this is another part of the right wing, is their cruelty. They are cruel, and they, they relish in their cruelty. That's one of the things that, again, started to really deeply bother me. And now that I'm, like, sort of done with all the justifications for that cruelty, I, I'm even, like, more, like, how do I say this? I just, it really makes me sick now because I was there. I was in that thought space where, like, yeah, it's okay to be cruel to certain people. It's okay to be, like, make their lives harder or to, you know, like, to say really hurtful things because they're on the other ideological side. And, you know, especially now, it just really, really is, like, one of my biggest pet peeves about the rights, how cruel they are. I also wonder, like, did the person, was the person expecting that eventually people would find the manatee? Or, like, I mean, I guess it was in a wildlife reserve, so I imagine they have to, like, track the manatees. But also how, I mean, I mean... I, I truly can't. I, like, that's a thing where it's like, if you once you get past just the fact that it's, like, awful to carve that in a manatee, it's also, like, were, one, like, how much time did they put into it? Was it, like, a spur of the moment I'm going to do this? Were they working there? Did they have to find their way onto the place and then just carve? Because that takes effort. Like, that's a, that's a thing. And, like, especially if, like, if you don't even know if people are going to see it or not and you're just doing it for you... I, that that's fucking it's fucking weird like like i I, that's such a wild thing to happen and i also just love manatees who does it right there's yeah they're great um but yeah it's just i think it's just one of those examples i think of of not only the mindset but then of the actions that that mindset causes right the whole world is against you right everybody's telling you that you're wrong and you know your people don't like you because of your beliefs then it's a victim complex right and you and in a lot of ways you, you know shit trickles downhill you know i guess they feel this way they feel all these negative emotions and i guess they want to express them onto some helpless creature um there's another something to talk about maybe with the intersection between like right wing and hunting culture just the basic idea of like that it's fun to kill stuff but again that's a way deeper conversation that we don't that need might to... be a whole other episode we right might have to exactly. on for that one because exactly. uh... yeah 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 but i mean it's it's tangentially related to this it's just i don't know man yeah well so my last question is have you met like personally charlie kirk or any of the big right-wing people and what what are they like so I've met Charlie Kirk maybe like twice, three times. I remember one example when we brought him and Don Trump Jr. to uh, Penn State, um, you know, the main campus. Yeah, that was actually a really huge event. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You can look into that, Google it when you're done, maybe just look into it. Um, but we brought him, and so I remember this moment where they're both standing there, Don Trump Jr. and Charlie, and they both had their hands out to shake my hand at the same time. And like I already met Charlie by that point, so I was like, oh, I'm going to shake Don Trump Jr.'s hand first, right? And so I reached out my hand and shook his, and just kind of like a glance at Charlie, and he was not happy. He was not happy that I shook Dude, Don Trump Jr. Dude, it's Don Trump Jr. 
he's one of the Trumps. Like, you should understand. Like, I don't fucking like the Trumps, but if I was in that boat, I'd understand. Who the fuck exactly. are you compared to the Trumps? Although, to be fair, his sons are like the fucking, the, except for Baron. I like Baron, but Baron. like others. <laughs> but like. <laughs> Baron hasn't done asshole. anything awful yet. <laughs> right. Who, who knows, man? Maybe like seeing all this stuff and being a, a, a party to this moment in history, maybe he'll come out and be one of their fiercest enemies. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I think one of the awesome. kids has to turn out to be a leftist. Like I, yeah. so I feel like statistically, like you have to have one of those kids turn out to just hate everything <laughs> their family stands for. And he, you know, Baron's very like quiet. He kind of always has this look like he's thinking about stuff. I mean, maybe he's, you know, he's plotting his revenge he's, i don't know he's he's well he's so tall he must have like so many you know pamphlets and shit from marx <laughs> and like lenin and, and rosa luxembourg just in his many pockets what he is he's just uh he's the conquest of bread capital and the manifesto just all in a trench coat that's oh. that's what baron is <laughs> <laughs> um but one other another thing about charlie kirk another story i have and this is just kind of these are just kind of funny stories he's very guarded Right. So if he was ever going to do anything truly embarrassing or like unethical, I would not have been around for it because I was like at the bottom of the, the uh, Turning Point USA hierarchy. But I remember we were at this thing called the SAS Leadership Ball, which is basically like Turning Point Prom. They put on crappy music and everybody dances. It's, oh, we got to do a news dive exclusive where we go to one of those. Yeah, yeah. You, you really should, honestly. There's always tons of media there and they let them in usually. So. Yeah, you should definitely check that out. It's a right-wing prom. It's crazy. Um, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah, one year they had, um, what's his name? Terrence Williams, uh, the, com the comedian. Um, and he was telling these really bad jokes. And he said, uh, he made some joke about how Charlie failed out of community college. Right? Oh. <laughs> and the whole room goes dead silent. I mean, you could hear a pin drop, literally. And everyone's just kind of like looking at Charlie and it, it was a bad scene. I can just but, imagine his his face um, shrinking like a tiny face. <laughs> yeah, uh, contorting as, as, rage. A, as his giant head turns slowly turns red. <laughs> oh man! But that's, so the main story we're at Turning Point Prom, the SAS Leadership Ball, and I had just been outside smoking weed with some of my friends, you know, because I was a libertarian, right? It's what we do. We smoke weed. Uh, it's really stoned. Like, you ever been like uncomfortably stoned? where you're like, you're almost not having a good time, you know? Uh, who comes up to us but Charlie Kirk himself, right? He comes up to us and he, he looks at all of us and he says, hey guys, what's that song with all the instructions? And then you like get down on the floor and we're all looking at him like, Charlie, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Instructions and the floor, I don't know any- Cha-cha slide? Yes, that's exactly what he was talking about. Yes, that's exactly what he was talking about. Charlie really wanted to do the cha-cha slide. This episode by playing out with the cha-cha slide, uh, you're no longer our producer. <laughs> can we get, no, we can play songs on a podcast, I think. Fair use, you know. But yeah, so just, he's just very like kind of awkward, like, like, like white dude from the Chicago suburbs, basically. Um, I heard, and this is a rumor, but I heard sometimes someone asked him what his favorite rap song is, and he said N-words in Paris, except he said the word with the ER in the presence of, like, black activists. 
Um, it doesn't even have an ER in the title. Yeah. Of course it doesn't, but it's Charlie Kirk, so. Uh, but yeah. yeah. This, this goes back to what everything that I've said in the, in the past is that uh, these media figures, they don't get where they are because they're like very intelligent or they're really good the journalists they get to where they are because their their ideology is is good for uh, corporations in this country so the people that are willing to espouse this this ideology they get funding and, and uh, like you said earlier uh, uh, there are people more than willing to fund Charlie Kirk even though when you watch him like he's not he doesn't like he doesn't say anything intelligent it, it's just it's just right-wing talking points and and fear-mongering and i remember yeah. someone once said that um he's like an npc this is not my original thought but someone said that he's like an npc and he has dialogue yeah. where like yeah. you say a key word and he just goes off into this kind of sort of tangentially related like dialogue tree of right-wing talking points Oh. Yeah, that's all, that's all. That's all he is. It's just, it's just right wing talking points that he just says over and over, and he, he, he nothing really of substance. It's it's just really basic level drivel. With only days left in President Trump's term, is this really what the country needs right now, Charlie? Is it? Absolutely not. I mean, only further rip our country apart. Uh, I mean, the promise of former Vice President Joe Biden is to try to heal the country, and this would only tear the country apart, almost on a political revenge campaign. Uh, this is the last thing the country needs right now, uh, but the Democrats, yeah. as Tammy mentioned in the previous segment, uh, their goal right now is to try and almost erase the entire history of the Trump uh, administration and the presidency that he's had. They want to eliminate everything. They want to try to make sure that another positive populist movement can never rise again, and so that this is a this is a strategic plan Another one? Uh, by Nancy Pelosi. And boy, if you want to just continue these awful divides and try to anger half the country, I guess this is the playbook to do that. Oh, yikes. <laughs> Sorry, just that chat message. Yikes, dude. Are we allowed to read it or should we not? You can read it. It's fine. <laughs> okay, Sophie messages us. She goes, I want you guys to know my mom came in to hand me something. And she goes, oh, I love Charlie Kirk. I was yeah. dying. I was like, I was like, what? Give you seven. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's the guy that I did a lot of work to, you know, elevate his profile, and that's one of the reasons I'm speaking out is because, like, even if I didn't do any real world harm, just what you experienced right now, Sophia, that's enough harm, right? I gotta make up for stuff like that. You gotta wash your hands of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, oh. exactly. Um, I will say they've already threatened to sue me. That has already happened. Oh, is he going to threaten to sue us? Are we going to get our first lawsuit? No, because, uh, okay, here's how it went down. In politics, I don't know if this happens in journalism too, but when people want to say things that they can later deny, they'll call you, right? Because there's no, like, if you don't record it, then there's no real record of, of that it was ever said. So my old boss called me and basically said, like, we're going to sue you. You're not allowed to talk to media. You're not allowed to say that you used to work for us blah, blah, blah. Um, and I knew it was just an empty threat. So the first words out of my mouth were like, fuck off. It's like, fuck off, dude. Like, I didn't do what I want. Click. But yeah, um, I don't think you guys will get any threats or anything. It's probably just me. And I haven't heard from them since. So. Hey. 
Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I mean, this yeah. was great. We, we yeah, this was, had, this was awesome. It's been a while since we had, like, a good dunking on, like, the right. <laughs> Usually we go for the centrists. They do yeah, more damage, awesome. though. Everyone knows the right is unreasonable and, like, eh, don't even worry about those guys. But centrists have that, like, appearance of uh, enlightenment, you yeah. know? So yeah. I understand dunking on the centrists. They're a little more dangerous sometimes. Yeah, but every now and then it's just fun to, like, remember. There's a whole there's a whole other group out there that uh, has its own problems. Um, so this, this was a good episode for that. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, Yes, thank you. Is there anything you want to plug, like, before we finish? Um, so I'm on SoundCloud, uh, Seven Star Actors, look me up. I actually just made a YouTube video today about Charlie Kirk's latest podcast, Ooh. where I go through and point by point debunk his ridiculous points about uh, the Capitol Hill riots. I uh, saw a clip actually... from that on the Majority Report earlier today, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's making the rounds, so I figured I would give my contribution to it. And then also find me on Twitter, seven, uh, the number seven spelled out, underscore eight, like the number eight spelled out, and then underscore ass, seven, eight ass. Um, and beyond that, I just want to say to any leftist, center right, or center left people, social democrats, organize. Now is a time more than ever, more than ever, that people need to organize. That's all I want to say. Thank you guys for having me on. I'd love to do it again sometime. We're gonna get funky, 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 funky. Everybody clap your hands, clap, 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 clap your hands. Hey everyone, as promised at the top of the show, here is another segment in which former co-host Joe Amditas and I discuss some of the worst media takes regarding the DC riots. Enjoy. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I've not talked to you since like we were dunking on Tucker Carlson. Oh, it's good to be back. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing to bring you out of early retirement like a siege on the U.S. Capitol by a bunch of right-wing nutjobs. Well, no, they're Antifa. Well, of course, yes, of course, and so are the cops now too. Yes. They're all Antifa. Yes, they, all... Oh, I wish I, I didn't. Fuck! I only just remembered. Uh, I love that we can curse now too. That's great. Yeah, I was gonna ask. You're not on WMSC anymore, right? You no, broke I just free from through Anchor. Oh, then fuck. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Oh, that's they're so good. I mean, that's so funny too. Like, there's a uh, you know uh, legions of right wingers descending on the U.S. Capitol, and we're over here like, oh, we can say curse words now, and we won't get in trouble. <laughs> well, I mean, curse words are violence. Yeah, so did you watch this unfold in real time? I'm assuming you did, right? You were, like, how many streams did you have open when this was all going down? I had a few, and then I was also just on Twitter. Um, just refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. Same. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was fun. I will give it that, like, it, it, it really, uh, I mean, the news was just so boring for the longest time. Like, all the... I was getting really sick of just Trump, you know, calling people and calling this a conspiracy and people being like, no, Biden will take office. Like, I'm not like, to be clear, I'm not happy that this is how it went down. But, you know, I think we all kind of knew that something was going to happen. And I'm glad we just got it out of the way. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. I'm not going to lie. I mean, we'll, we'll get into all like the different takes that, uh, you know, as they unfold and everything. But just off the top of the bat, like off the top here. I, I know, first of all, obviously, people died. We don't like people dying in most cases. Um, 
you know, obviously not, but the rest of it was hilarious. The fu- some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. I mean, just from the costumes to the procession to like, once they got inside, they're just sort of like, oh, now what? Now I'm just gonna take selfies and start streaming. Like, going, going live, baby. I don't know. I never thought I'd get this far. They were shooed away by the cops after a while. Well, also, people are forgetting there were videos going around before Wednesday of Tuesday night, and these people were just, like, herded into obvious kettling traps and, like, being oh my God. afraid and, like, crying and walking away afterwards. Like, these people are, like, the thing is, people are, I don't want to say that these people stormed the Capitol because they didn't. They're so unimpressive, and the only reason they got as far as they did is because there were no barriers. So, this is so funny because this is exactly, so I'm torn on this because on the one hand, watching them, it is so utterly clear that the majority of people did not expect for A, for this to work, or B, I don't even think a lot of them expected for that to, like, be the case, for that to be what happened. And you could tell, I mean, they, they, First of all, there's been left-wing activists and Antifa activists and Black Lives Matter protesters going up against the cops, at least in uh, Washington State, uh, you know, in Portland and Seattle and everything for months. I mean, the the tactics that they used against the demonstrators there um, with, like you said, like kettling and and all kinds of different, you know, um, uh, formations. They didn't take any notes. They didn't take any notes on how to deal with that. They got they got once the police finally did show up like two and a half, three hours later. Um, and were able to start pushing them back, especially after the curfew was announced and after it went dark. Um, even then, they were all, it was just, it was hilarious watching them try to, you know, form some kind of organizational coherence in their, you know, resistance and pushback. So on the one hand, it was very obvious that this was not as at least fully coordinated in, in uh, to rise to the level of like terror and, you know, like hilarious fear that seemed to be stoked and, you know, rightfully so, I guess, in many people. But again, on the other hand, they were people like with zip ties, with bombs, that guy's with freaky. A, a fully constructed gallow, uh, you know, gallows to hang people. Like there's all kinds of, so it, it is a mix and I could definitely, like it was planned for weeks in advance. It was very well known. I just think, I don't think the actual, like, there was no real element of direct action outside of let's just get up in people's faces, let's march, right? It's like every every sort of like, you know, milk toast activist, you know, action where they just say, we're gonna march or we're gonna protest. Well, I was disappointed um, in, like I was reading ProPublica and they did like, I mean, they always do like good looking into here's what happened and all, but like all of the, all the, the takeaways are, are, were just cops being like, we don't know how this happened. It's a real- oh. No, it isn't. No one could have predicted this very predictable and openly advertised thing. Yeah. Have you seen the, um, did you see the thread on Parler or, you know, people were talking about the thread on Parler where they were like, Patriots, the White House pardon office is asking for information so Trump can pardon you. Please tell us your name, your information and what crimes you think you need to be pardoned for and we'll get this to the office and motherfuckers were like going through. And they're like, oh, my name's David Dubrick, and I was over there, and I was, uh, I was, you know, stealing shit from Nancy Pelosi's office. My social security number is six two four nine. Like, <laughs> they were talking to like the videos. There's the one woman who it's, it's like, I'm, what's her face for, from? from pushed me down and maced me. Yeah, storming the Capitol. So what's your what's your take on the onion? Because like. I I at first people because you know she's like holding an onion in her hand when she's saying that right and like so you can see it and then she's like so apparently it was like they said 
oh, she's just rubbing an onion on her eyes to agitate her eyes and to make it look like she got maced. But then I, I was seeing people who were like, oh, so there was it's like a like an old uh, you know an old myth that rubbing onions on your eyes alleviates the the problems of the capsation and the pepper spray. But I just thought that was really funny because a either if if no matter what, where did she get an onion? Like where did you get? I hope, she, I hope it was in the whole car ride. Like who is just? I need an onion stat, and somebody's like, just throws it over to her. That oh my god! Reminds me though uh, that the onion, the the um, parody outlet, had a yeah. great headline, which was uh, it was something like uh, in preparation for inauguration, uh, DC sends three police to the Capitol or or something. Um, oh, I wish I had it off the top of my head. I didn't save that one. That's great. Well, uh, we could reflect more. We and, could, but uh, we don't got time. There's too many things happening. So. What? <laughs> There's too many things happening. We don't have time to reflect. <laughs> yeah, or uh, what we could do is we could dunk on some of the worst takes of, uh, of what's been going on. Because there's been a lot. Well... Don't have to ask me twice. Um, so I don't want to. I don't want to. I, I, I can't get too into this one because I feel like I'd be plagiarizing Citations Needed. The the fine folks, um, Adam and Nima over at Citations Needed, did a great news brief uh, for patrons. I'm not sure um, if you saw it, um, but they did. They did a great breakdown of the sort of hysterical response that many cable news outlets had and you know national papers had when describing the unfathomable, unpredictable, unconscionable attack on American democracy and could not seem to resist resorting to xenophobic uh, tropes and, and phrasing. We, we probably, many of you, uh, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you are interested in media criticism. So I have to assume that you've at least probably heard one or two of these criticisms, but the main ones being that they couldn't resist referring to it a as like something that happens in the third world or uh, tin pot dictators uh, solve their electoral issues like this or our, our big beautiful boy George uh, W. Bush talking about how it's a, a banana republic. This is how election results are disputed in a banana republic. Jake Tapper on Twitter talking about um, I feel like I was you know covering something in you know Bogota. And it's like, do you, you know, do, do, is that what you feel like? Is it so, is it, is that what it is? Or are you, are you once again, reinforcing racist xenophobic uh, stereotypes about the, you know, corruption and, you know, incoherence of, of the global South of leaders in the, in the global South without even a whiff or a breath of recognition to the reason, the overarching reason why many countries are unable to establish a steady democratic process, or even when they do, they're immediately invaded by the CIA uh, and, and, and and overthrown. So no, no mention of why those tend to happen. So many have so many coups in these so-called third world countries or, or members of the global South, no mention of, you know, the history of the term banana Republic and why we associate those, those words with corruption and upheaval and, uh, you know, uh, turmoil. Um, but yeah, I mean, across the board, let's, you know, uh, the Tennessean, uh, a dark day for America, Tennessee lawmakers condemn uh, the actions, the rioters as storming the U.S. Capitol. Um, and they're, you know, this is now a third world country led by a third, a tin pot dictator, said U.S. Representative Steve Cohen of Memphis. Uh, a dark day for America, a banana republic, George W. Bush again, uh, NBC Think, 
NBC News think capital invasion by Trump mob, the latest case of the U.S. being the true banana republic. You know, and, and they do they do have a nod. Washington has interfered with democracy by supporting coups, destabilizing governments, manipulating elections and aiding the killing of elect, uh, elected leaders. But just these headlines that 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 are spewed across the Internet and across uh, pages and channels across the United States. We all know a nobody reads anything more than the uh, more than the headline, first of all, let alone a subhead. And B, it's it's just the aggregate, the cacophony of these calls and 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 takes. Um, don't do anything to actually elucidate why these terms are used, how they're used, and the history of their use, and what they're what's behind that. And so, what do you end up with? You end up with this like uh, pearl clutching, uh, you know, appalled look on people's faces, and they can't imagine why it would happen here. And the truth is, this is a very steady and and documented escalation to get to the point where we are now. It makes perfect sense why this happened. It's not only is there an entire breadcrumb trail leading back decades, but even the last four years alone, even the last year alone, um, it's very clear that these this sort of like notion of American exceptionalism just won't go away. It's persistent and it ekes into this, even when it's very clear that we are not exceptional in any sense when it comes to this kind of stuff. So that's that's my hot meta take there. I'm just surprised to learn that Jake Tapper would be racist and xenophobic. My goodness, I know. Uh, the bastion of, of egalitarian thought and uh, philosophy. I mean, the one that, hold on, the one that I've been seeing everyone make fun of is John Favio, is that it, from Pod Save America? John Favreau? Yeah, how, how that one. Pop, Pod uh, Save, did, the Pod Save Boys, what did he do? Uh, it was part of a thread, but the one that everyone's making fun of is, it is, without question, the most evil, dangerous behavior exhibited by any American president in history, and there must be accountability. Ooh, to that's... The... I think the best criticism I saw was someone just retweeted it with four pictures, uh, the bombing of Hiroshima, uh, the the famous napalm photo in Vietnam, uh, the, what is it, hooded torture victim in Guantanamo Bay, yeah. and a drone strike, uh, which I, I wish we weren't a podcast so that people could get the visual because i think it is really great but um yeah no just the and which is part of this whole i mean andrew jackson for goodness sake the yeah. genocide i mean good lord like calm down pod save john calm down i mean but this is exactly what i mean this is that like pearl clutching they love to do this they love to like just gasp in horror how could our sweet precious democracy ever do something like this it, uh, he's just the, the worst orange man on the planet and again it's just what imperial, it's fascism is what imperialism looks like when it turns inward. And I'm gonna try to Google who said that because it's just one of the most beautiful things I've heard. Um, and it's so true. I mean, this is what happens when the chickens come home to roost. But ironically enough, um, and this is sort of my, my criticism, if there is a criticism of like the police responses, which there are many, um, without calling for like tanks on the streets every time there's a protest, it is sort of like ironic that we've spent the last 20 years arming our, our, our local police to the teeth with weapons of war, funneling millions of, of dollars into these police departments. Um, and then, you know, when they're finally on the footsteps of the Capitol, it's like, oh, no, what are we supposed to do with these plastic batons? We just had nothing. We couldn't help ourselves. But like Cause we know what side they support. Right. Like, right. We've, we saw what side they don't support and what they use those against. But um, no, that's going to be a take that everyone has already made and will continue to make. Um, so I won't harp too much on that. But it, it, it really is just like so 
it shouldn't be baffling at this point that like people aren't asking the question but it, it, it really is just annoying that we have to once again deal with uh just a the the I, I don't even want to use like words like elite, liberal, because it's just they're so overused. But like that we have, you know, people like Jake Tapper and John Favreau. I, I'm not going to learn how to pronounce his last name. Uh, I don't you got just, it. You got it. Um, but no, that once again, we have to if the context is obvious, like it, it's it's so obvious if mm. you're not a person who benefits from not ha and would have to self-reflect if you ever recognized uh, why we're seeing this and where we have seen it before due to our own policies. Yeah. Uh, the, the quote, by the way, that I said it was uh, Inamakwe uh, Kasikne was an indigenous uh, resistance writer who uh, talked about decolonization and fascism uh, and imperialism. So without uh, a stealing a quote from an indigenous resistance writer, I'm, uh, I urge you to check out uh, that uh, I, funny enough, the, it's in a book called Cope, published in 2015. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, the last, I think the last one though, uh, before we go, the last one that I wanted to talk about briefly um, is anarchy and the term anarchy, uh, which was thrown around so much. There's a great, um, there's a great piece in the Guardian um, that goes through a lot of them the main you know the front pages of major publications across the world uh it's called anarchy in the usa what the papers say about the storming of the u.s capitol um there were several publications um that that referred to it as anarchy i know there were a bunch of pundits whether it's cbs or you know cnn across the board who you know just just sort of like casually throwing around the word anarchy as if it didn't have an entire robust political theory behind what it actually means um, and it, it's just another, it's another like, you know, casual example of left punching, of left bashing um, that just gets sort of like casually accepted across the board. Um, you know, you, you, would, you wouldn't hear, you would hear such an outrage if it was just like, this is just another republicanism. There's republicanism in the street or whatever, because they'd be like, no, that's not what republicanism means. And yet you could say things like, oh, it's just pure anarchy out there because it's become a colloquialism, uh, a shorthand for um, disorder and unrest, but that was just something that I wanted to bring up because it, it is, I'm not an anarchist. I don't know. I feel like you are, have anarchist tendencies in some ways, but I'm not sure. I don't remember your exact political philosophy, but that just, I can just imagine all of the, uh, all the anarchists out there screaming into the void every time they hear that when they to describe a literal right-wing fascist takeover of the Capitol. And the first word that comes to mind is, it's just anarchy out there. And it's like, no, it's, I feel like the only closest parallel would be like Satanism where the, everything that is not, you know, is bad in a religious context is you're a Satanist or you're a Satan worshiper and they absolutely have a fully thought out philosophy and moral code and yet they just get lumped in casually with uh, just disorder or evil or you know unrest yeah um, I mean I don't consider myself an anarchist I consider myself socialist but I'm pals with anarchists I certainly like them more than any ideology that endorses capitalism sure and yeah no it's it's uh, I spent a lot of time participating in anarchy this summer, and by that I mean people just giving food to homeless people and you know setting up blanket drives. Like th right. that's that's what the anarchists do. I mean, obviously you have like I don't know, you have Black Bloc and you have whatever the other orgs are, where, where they'll they'll like go around breaking windows, which 
I, I, and this is my controversial take. I think when they do it, and even when the right does it, I I don't really think that's that big of a problem. Uh, you know, I I'm very open about how I think there's a big difference between harming other people and breaking uh, property. Uh, we'll we'll throw that on. But yeah, no, it's it's the the most anarchists are they show up, they yell about how you shouldn't trust the state. And they set up, you know, places where you can give get a good free meal and uh, help the community. Like that, 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 that's what that's that's my experience with anarchy, and it's just it's so ridiculous that you don't even need to like participate with with people like that and like be friends with people like that to have a basic understanding that that's what the the ideology is advocating for. Yeah. Um, but because anything even remotely to the left of the political spectrum is just a scare word, whether it's everything authoritarian is communism yeah. or everything uh, healthcare everything socialism you have to pay for with your taxes is socialist or right. everything that doesn't go within the confines of the law and is, you know, breaks things is anarchy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's an, it's an easy, uh, they're, they're easy ideologies to even if you don't understand all the details know the basics of them but we don't ever have to learn them and we're in fact discouraged from learning them so we get right and you get headlines like that with people who are supposed to explain the events of the world to us i you know journalism um you know it, it use terms like that haphazardly and without thinking um and only which only reinforces the ignorance of the actual meaning so yeah i mean that that is i think that's uh, just about the majority. I mean, there are plenty more bad takes that I that that, that we've seen over the you know the last couple of days. Um, I do have one I want to get into. Before, oh, please hit me. Which is uh, the the new American hero Mike Pence. Oh yes, our golden boy, our our great silver boy. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of uh, people were predicting that it's only going to be a matter of time before people in the Trump administration are rehabilitated because we saw that with the Bush administration. Uh, and uh, it's just thanks to Trump going so off the rails, it's happening uh, sooner. So I found this praise through the first source I have is NBC News. After break with Trump, Pence charts a new path forward. Angry over his treatment by the president, Pence and his team are moving to get through the next nine days and beyond. And it's it's a picture of him looking distraught. Uh, I'm not going to get into too much into this article because there's a better article that I have by the hill. But just the gist is that it's it's a whole piece on, well, after more than four years of unflinching loyalty, Vice President Mike Pence is increasingly troubled about the way his relationship with President Trump is coming to an end amid the most tumultuous episode of their administration, according to multiple people familiar with Pence's thinking. It goes into a whole thing about how Pence is, quote, very upset that Trump didn't do more to dissuade the mob, uh, lives were at stake, and the real kicker is that they get into how Pence is sad that Trump did not uh, check on his security when the building was being stormed. It's it's really a um, so it's not as explicit as the other article I have pulled up, but 
it's there seems to be a lot of it going on right now. Basically, the fact that he is breaking with Trump and the fact that he's doing the bare minimum of not wanting a mob of people to get into the building and disrupt the vote process makes it sad and his friendship with Trump is ending because Trump didn't check on him, which is exactly yeah. how we should be analyzing uh, their dynamic as president and vice president of a uh, administration that ended in something like this. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's such, it's such nonsense. It's the, you know, it's wrapped up in all the palace intrigue, you know, crap that, that goes out. It's like, it's it honestly it's so entertaining that's the problem like i love the idea of them not being friends anymore and him being like i don't like you blah 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 hilarious absolutely hilarious completely devoid of context because you remember the the reason that he didn't the first thing that really set trump off wasn't even him not being down with the mob of people storming the capitol it was like no bro like i gotta certify these these counts like i'm not just gonna like slam a gavel and declare mike pence law and like decertify all these results and so he didn't like that obviously he's like why you're the king of the senate you're allowed to do that and he's like no i'm not really the king of the senate it's like there was the rift there which again it, better than 20 seasons of the kardashians like I, i'm loving this like this is concentrated drama exactly <laughs> yeah i could watch a million videos of pence like looking down distraught and just sad, sad boy music sad uh, boy pence is my favorite absolutely yeah just like uh, blasting mcr in there just i'm not okay <laughs> Like hilarious, but of course that's what they focus on, and that ends up being the story. And it is a hagiography at the same time because it completely ignores. Like you did, the bar is on the floor. You literally didn't agree to subvert a national election. Good boy, good job. Here's a treat, and now we're on your side because Trump has said some, he's not your best, your BFF anymore. So no, absolutely. Uh, I do think the the other article I have, which I think is good to end on may signal some of the me the more in-depth pieces we may see on this now it's by the hill so they're obviously they have a uh more conservative bias so it makes sense that they're one of the first to really get into praising pence but it is still a fun time so uh by the hill vice president pence honor in humility by adam goodman when taking a measure of someone's time on earth Judgment is usually made based on one's entire body of work. In taking on challenge and uncertainty, hardship and hard work, and opportunities impacting the world they would one day leave, did that person punch above or below their weight? In the past few days, in a place where rhetoric is rife but courage rare, Mike Pence proved in one act, one moment, he was one of life's heavyweights. Now, mind you, when they talk about uh, his body of work, his whole body of work, they do not talk about his uh, avid misogyny and, and desire to uh, push for gay conversion therapy. Uh, they don't talk about that. They talk about how, here it is, shortly before mob rage created scenes of anarchy on the floor of the U.S. Uh, Senate, Pence informed the world that despite grave doubts about last year's election integrity, he would, like every other vice president in history, uphold the Constitution and not interfere with the Electoral College count. So, so it's a thing that, as they note, every single vice president in history, but for some reason, because Pence is doing it, it's, it's this great thing. 
you um, congratulations you've decided not to shred the u.s constitution you did it what a yeah. what an amazing accomplishment like give him an award presidential medal of freedom yeah no i i don't i don't want to get into all of it because it's quite long uh but i will uh i will read another choice line which is when richard nixon and Al Gore did the same, elevating opponents John F. Kennedy and George W. Bush, respectively, to the nation's highest office. They received a standing ovation from both sides of the aisle. Nixon called it striking uh, a striking and eloquent example of Americans' respect for and defense of self-government. Uh, so, I mean, you can guess by the tone of the article, the uh, they, they mention how... <laughs> Uh, Nixon as a person worthy of bipartisan support. Yeah. Uh, they have uh, just, it, it really is just fluff. It's fluff about how uh, by doing the bare minimum, uh, Pence is a great hero to democracy. But what's so upsetting is that it's long. The NBC yeah. article, it's <laughs> quick. This, and, and mind you, this is an opinion piece. Uh, but we're going to see more of them. I mean, well, there was uh, already a New York Times uh, thing that I didn't bother pulling up, but it's it's discussing how uh, Trump is making Pence look good. Uh, and and, yeah. and I just feel like we're going to be seeing a lot more of this. We're going to be seeing it with people more than Pence. I can only imagine how many uh, how long it's going to take till we get them with Mitch McConnell because Mitch McConnell also now. Uh, oh, instantly. You know. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think it'll take longer for Mitch McConnell because there's more of a visceral hatred. But I do think. I I, I do think this actually is tied to another issue in some ways, even if it's tangentially related. I, I think it's it's this same kind of mentality. This like. Um, beyond praise for bipartisanship and the peaceful transition of power, the the fetishism over that, I think is also tied to the reason why, or related to part of the reason why we're not going to see Donald Trump actually get punished for anything that he's done. Um, the, the sort of like the unspoken agreement and the whole reason why the republic or the government continues, especially in a two-party system, is because the other side is like agreed to never actually punish the other side for the, the shitty things that they do within, you know, which is why I think it's so difficult for many in the pundit class and at the, in the halls of government to grapple with Donald Trump, because if we punish Donald Trump and his administration, members of his administration, for the bad things that he's done, in so many cases, it, you could turn around and punish like the entire Democratic Party and all the previous Democratic presidents you for things. Punish Bush. Like I mean, that's why we didn't punish Bush. Bush. Yeah. What are we just going to punish everybody who starts an illegal war? Come on now. What's the point of being president? You know what I mean? If you can't start a few illegal wars, so I think that is also tied, and that's why they bring up people like Nixon, who say like even the crook and criminal Nixon, who is literally one of the only people to ever face any repercussions for his actions. And even so, he was allowed to do it on his own terms. Even he didn't go this far. And so they're very clearly, or I think I think it's very clearly, uh, trying to sort of establish the boundaries of what is acceptable to punish and find ways where Trump has exceeded those boundaries so clearly that you could never misinterpret that and flip it back around and say, well, you did the same thing. That's why Ukraine was a flop in many ways, too, with the impeachment there. It, 
and you also notice that you, you don't get impeached. You don't get these kind of things until you mess with the purse. So Ukraine, he was impeached over an arms deal that he didn't allow to go through and the manipulation of uh, uh, messing with an arms deal and holding that hostage in exchange for Biden's thing. You get this where he's actually attacking the, the safety uh, and putting the, the, the well-being of, the, of lawmakers in jeopardy. So these are things that are so far beyond the pale, so far outside the realm of respectable crimes uh, and acceptable um, you know, violations that there's no way that they could possibly turn that around and say, well, you did something similar. They have to have that that level of, dis, uh, of, of distance so that allows them to criticize Trump without allowing to come back, which is why you need the saving grace people. You need people like Pence to come in and say, well, you know, all the things that Trump did were so bad. But then you have people like Pence who did his duty and act as a backstop to continue this, you know, transition of power, the succession. Um, and, and I just it just strikes me when I hear that because it, it does ring so familiar when we talk about the things that we're willing to punish uh, our leaders for and the things that we're willing to uh, let slide and why that is and what that how that pattern lines up and to me it 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 seems very familiar in that type of logic whereas the whole point is that we get to keep doing whatever we want and if you mess with that then you're in our crosshairs but you have to be so far outside of those bounds that it'll never spring back and get me on those same charges i would never incite my followers to to attack the capital i would never hold up an arms deal i would never do these kinds of things and so it's so clear that you are an aberration we just need to get back to the normal corruption and regular stuff like uh, voter suppression and you know making sure people don't have access to health care if you actually try to uh, you know, overturn the results of our of our bullshit elections, or if you actually try to like mess with the game and the pageantry, then we step in and say you've gone too far. And we need people like the beautiful, wonderful Michael Michael Pence to step in and say, no, sir, not one step further. Like that's what it reeks up to me. And so I'm not surprised at all to hear that. Yeah. Well, uh, we are not going to incite our followers to uh, overthrow the capital yet. Yeah, not for something uh, but, so dumb. Not for something that stupid. God. Yeah, but uh, they can they can uh, subscribe to at News Dive Radio on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and uh, and on Parlor, baby, come see us on Parlor. <laughs> we might have to make a Parlor. I don't know. Got to got to use the desktop. Twitter with our hot takes. You got to use the browser version though because you can't download it on the app stores anymore. <laughs> 